have your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. We're glad you came back to listen again. It's me, Heather, and today the co-host is Liz Cohen. Hello. Hello. Who are you? What what should people know about you? I don't know. You've been on before, but in case they've never heard. Just in case. (laughs) Um, I'm a preschool teacher, former family child care person, Um, and right now I work with Three and four-year-olds. Awesome. Um, and you're in California, right? I am in California. In case that adds any kind of context to anyone or lends you any credibility <laughs> as we go forward. It's helpful for today's conversation. I can say that much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, great. So we're going to talk about a quote from the book, We Don't Play With Guns Here, War, Weapon, and Superhero Play in the Early Years by Penny Holland, um, which is packed. We we could talk about this book probably forever. Yes. I think. I mean, I we, before we started recording, we were talking about how hard it was to find specific things that were highlighted because we had highlighted so much in the book that saying, oh, I know I highlighted it wasn't really narrowing things down. <laughs> for us to find anything. Um, so I want to, I guess, start by talking a little bit about my own history with gunplay and children or weapon play. And you can do the same if you want to Yes. before we jump into the quote. But um, I, I don't know that I could say, so, so let me start this, let's go backwards for a minute. This is a hard sell for some people to talk about, even to suggest that we should consider um, anything but a zero tolerance policy on weapon and war play with young children. That's been my experience anyway, would you say? Yeah. That that's has been your experience with people. It took me a long time to come around to it. And yeah, I've had lots of ongoing conversations with parents and professionals about how it's not what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's hard because, um, uh, because I, I don't typically limit children's play much. There's not a lot that makes me uncomfortable about what children do. Um, but in my own personal life, I'm, I'm very much anti-gun. So, um, uh, not to turn this into a second amendment podcast, cause I have no interest in that, but it just, my own life, it's something I'm not comfortable with. I, I don't like. And, um, uh, so, so it does sort of, when I see children turning things into guns or playing with guns or even have to have a conversation with someone who says, should we do this? That's where I always come from. So there's a lot of um, reflection and self-awareness that I've had to do (laughs) on the topic. And, and the only other thing I'll add to that is that um, even now that my position has sort of solidified that, that I, I think we should let them play this way and we'll get into that. Um, I still find myself stopping children sometimes, but it's not because I think it's wrong or I think I need to stop them. It's because I, I want to be the one before the mean teacher comes in and lays a bunch of judgment on them about their play or, 
makes them feel ashamed of their play or because I'm tired and I don't want to have the conversation with the parent or whoever. So my favorite line that I have stolen actually from someone who I respect very much uh-huh. is um, I'm okay with this, but there are people here who might actually not like what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you come with me and we can do this over here. Yeah. Let's go do this secretly. <laughs> it's not even secretly. It's just like, this no, is going to bother people. But... Yeah. Yeah. So I still, even though my mind has come around, my practice still really struggles, I guess is, is a little bit slower to come along mostly because of uh, convenience. Like I just don't want to be annoyed by listening to another teacher try to stop it. Or I don't want to be annoyed by another defensive conversation about it. Yes. And then there's the art of having that conversation while the children are still right there playing with their guns. Exactly. (laughs) It's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So how about you? What's your, what's leading you up to this book? Oh, man. So I was absolutely, I have a very clear memory of my very first year in my very first early Head Start classroom telling a two-year-old that we don't have guns at school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Anytime any adult starts a sentence with children with, we don't, it makes me giggle (laughs) a little bit because I just did, duh. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I actually had a four-year-old come up, respond with a very similar phrase. Mm like that recently yeah you're right yeah here's Um, my favorite to derail you for a minute and it's not exactly the same but I had uh one teacher we'll say her name was Miss Brenda (laughs) said to a little boy you are not showing me that you're ready for nap time and he said well Miss Brenda I'm not ready for nap time (laughs) just kept jumping on his cot I mean, if they're supposed to listen to us, kind of give them the same. (laughs) Well, Miss Brenda, what are you going to do with that one? I just sat back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, so you and your your story. (laughs) Oh, no, I just, it it took a really long time and a lot of reading from very smart people to kind of come around. Um, And when we were talking prior to podcasting about an article that if anyone wants to email you this article that they might have, cause I've been looking for days and can't find it, mm-hmm. but I swear it's called let the children drink and smoke on the playground. I think, and I it, think I found it. I think, did it's, you? I think it's from Travis, uh, Manley's blog. Yeah. From progressive preceptors. Yeah. Sure it wasn't, maybe it is. I think it I, does kind of sound plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um oh. but anyway, never mind. Yeah. So but, we talked yes. about this article. <laughs> Yeah, and just the, the many limiting limitations that we put on children's play without a real reason to. They're, you know, if we truly believe that play is a reflection of the children's environment and play is how children process their experiences, we really can't say, oh, no, we don't have beer here. What are you doing? You know, we, <laughs> we don't have friends here. We don't play with fear. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is zero tolerance. We're not allowed to have these experiences right. ever. Right. This is a happiness only yes. play-based child-centered program. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I, so as I, as I read the book, um, and I promise we're going to get to the quote, but, but I, I just, I really highly recommend this. Even if you don't intend to change your mind about it, <laughs> um, there's a lot more in the book than just a case in favor of gunplay. And it, it really is a research project that they sort of conducted and d- 
discuss. And it's and, really executed beautifully. It takes yeah. so much context into account that right. I haven't seen anything else do. Right, right. And and so there's there's a lot. Uh, we'll start with this quote, but I sort of expect that we're going to be jumping all over the book. That's fine. As we go. Okay. So so let's go with the quote. So this is from the, the second chapter of the book, which is called um, Boys Will Be Boys and Girls Will Sit Nicely. And I hadn't ever thought about gender in the gunplay question before. So this, in addition to the title, just pissing me off immediately, <laughs> um, it offered me another layer and another level for processing the, the evolution that my thoughts were taking anyway, my ideas. So, so anyway, here's our quote. Whatever combination of biology and social construction, parentheses, nature and nurture, gives rise to the preference shown by some boys for war, weapon, and superhero play and or other forms of active and noisy play. Practitioners have a professional responsibility to work with those boys in their play in a way which does not generate low self-esteem or negative gender identity. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and everything was solved forever. Right. And so we move on to another episode. Um, that's always funny. I think I do that at the end of every quote on every episode. Okay, <laughs> yeah. what more can we say? That's all. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it, it just so beautifully encapsulates every. I mean, I, I think I'm going to speak for myself. Yeah. I, prior to reading this book, I didn't give nearly enough thought to the way that adults send these gender shaming messages to children of any gender. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we think about it, or I think about it as, you know promoting gender, some, the way some people promote a very rigid gender conformity versus not. But then there's shame from participating in these activities that do reflect gender stereotypes. And you're also shamed for that by supposedly progressive people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so this kind of took me in two different, different directions. One was um, sort of down the, the path of thinking about how we separate and define what is desirable and convenient behavior and which gender tends to fall into which category the most often okay. in my direct experience. If that, and, and the other is just the idea of shaming children for their imaginative play, for their ideas. So, um, so I want to I talk about gender stuff, but I want to get back to the idea of shame. And I, okay. I think they'll overlap a little bit. But um, so in the, in the center where I was, um, before one of my past centers, I guess, um, there just were so many boys, like the class of two-year-olds that I was with, there were 10 children and only three of them were, were girls and, and asterisk, I know non-binary is a thing and, and I'm oversimplifying by categorizing and all that kind of stuff. But for the purpose of this conversation, for the genitals, Hallie, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to talk about boys and girls. Um, and then I moved to a one-year-old room where there was only one girl and nine boys. And, you know, I, could, I just would hear conversations about how they, they wish there were more girls and how exhausting it was to have all the boys. And when I was the one-year-old teacher, one of the two-year-old teachers was really hoping she would get, you know, the girl first from my group as they moved up. And it just, but what it came down to was the kind of play that they engaged in and how, um, how the teachers didn't accept the boys' choices of play. 
as much right. as they did the girls' choices of play. And that was kind of in this in this chapter too. The the girls tend to sit and get more involved in the dramatic play and the quieter kinds of things, the art and the whatever. Mm-hmm. And the boys are running and shooting and climbing and fighting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me ask you, do you, is that, is that what you see? Or I, I couldn't come up with a girl in the recent past of my career that I saw engaging in play fighting or superhero or weapon play. It's interesting. I feel like there's, so from my toddler experience, which wasn't that long ago, there was a lot of play fighting in the way, you know, just, but there were no accessories. It was just Uh fun. Let's keep wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. But the older kids, I'm seeing a lot of kids right now who are engaged in more physical play of any gender. Uh Uh-huh. But the guns do really seem to be a lot more boy heavy. Mm -hmm. And the girls who do participate tend to be girls with older brothers. Oh. I've seen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that sort of reflects what I've, what I've seen too. And I hadn't even really thought about separating it out, separating it out that way. But I think that's why maybe boys get the bad rap sometimes because their play choices are just more active and quote unquote violent. Right. And since most of the people working in the field with them are female, mm-hmm. maybe there's an element of, I mean, maybe that's part of the disconnect. Why? We have so many boys labeled as behavior problems and so many boys getting expelled and um, at higher numbers than girls are. I think that's huge. I mean, I think, well, I know gender is a piece of implicit bias, obviously. Uh I think that plays a big role. Um, And there's also, again, just play is the way children process what they've seen and experienced. And if we're exposing our boys to Power Rangers, then yes, the boys who've watched Power (laughs) Rangers. They're going to be kicking each other a whole lot more than the girls who haven't watched Power Rangers. Yeah. But yeah. I think we're drawing this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you finish your sentence. I was going a different direction. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am sensing a trend. Um, <laughs> but I think we're placing way too much moral judgment on the play fighting that happens regardless of exposure, you know, uh-huh. whether it's guns or not. But yes, focused on guns. We're placing so much of the adult moral expectations on children who don't have this context. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, so I was just going to tell a Power Rangers related story. I, I remember when my son, who's now 25, was, you know, two or something, and we were hanging out with a friend who had a four or five year old who um, was talking about how he was never going to let his kids watch Power Rangers because mm-hmm. it taught them violence. And I remember saying something like, um, you know, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons, and I never once tried to drop an anvil on anybody or <laughs> tried to paint a tunnel on a wall and run through it. <laughs> There's got to be something deeper to it than just, oh, they saw it on TV and now they're imitating it. I do think that's an element, of course, of the superhero play. Mm-hmm. They're imitating things they've seen, but um, uh, what what I felt like, and I can't think of, of a quote from the book, off the top of my hand head was that it sort of broadened for me when I, the idea that, Oh, there, most of this violent or war player, weapon player, superhero play is, um, them acting out things that they've seen and experienced in their lives. I think that is part of it, but not the only piece of it. 
after having read the book. Um, I remember there was one, one point where she's, and maybe more than one point where she said, um, we make that assumption. We think that this is going to be violent play, or we think that it's, um, someone's going to get hurt or it's going to go in this dangerous direction because of the violence they've seen on TV or in their lives or whatever. But we stop the play too soon to know if we're, if that's really where it goes. So it's sort of presumptuous of us to think this is going to end badly. Yes. Because we stop it right away. And that's so much my experience too. I've, you know, been watching and watching kind of, waiting just ready to step in <laughs> yeah they're tumbling around on concrete um <laughs> but then you know someone actually does trip and it's this immediate switch to, oh are you okay like here let's get you an ice pack let's get you some band-aids uh-huh. like it's i think it gives them this opportunity you know to go back to gender binary to give mm-hmm. these boys particularly the opportunity to really practice the empathy that maybe the girls are more expected to practice in dramatic play right or in the dramatic playhouse center because this is also dramatic play that the boys are engaging in exactly and that's the other thing that i really appreciated about the book is that this is just another way for them to engage in the dramatic play that we think and proclaim to be so valuable to children and claim to be supporters of um but because it's different from what we think it should look like we dismiss it and we shame them for it um when you know there there may be just as you described those moments of empathy and and taking care of each other and stopping uh when we see the other person has had enough that that kind of experience we don't ever give them a chance to develop because we stop it right away and tell them that it's a bad thing right to have even started it i suggested the other day we were a woman that I'm going to work with in the new program and I were talking actually I think there were several people standing around talking and we were talking about options for big body gross motor stuff if it's raining outside um, in our space and I said well you know I'm a big fan of just giving them all pool noodles and letting them wail on each other <laughs> and it was just silence <laughs> no one knew what to do with that like no really it's fun let's try <laughs> i suggested that to a friend who messaged me and she's like i don't know what's do. my four-year-old is like beating the crap out of my two-year-old because he thinks it's funny i'm like well give your two-year-old a pool noodle arm the yeah. two-year-old because <laughs> i mean he's having fun let's make sure she's having fun you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah um, i i think um I don't know. There's just so much that is about our own discomfort in this conversation mm-hmm. that that the book really addresses. You know, they talk a lot about their own reflection and the things they had to think about for themselves. And um, and and a big piece of it was if we believe that um, down the road the boys who grow into men who struggle with their feelings and struggle with conflict resolution and maybe do become violent and aggressive. Maybe that's happening because they haven't been given any of these opportunities when they were younger and when it was more natural for them to kind of learn and play through it. Yes. And if we can drag in, I think this is Michael Durian, but Mm -hmm. talking about how it's safe 
this is probably Michael Green. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the safe way for boys to ex- express affection yeah. is through tackling. They, you know, uh-huh. you can't hug other boys for too long. You can't, you know, hold hands with another boy. That's right. These other People things. People think you're weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a whole other judgment. <laughs> right. <laughs> On the way you choose to play. But you sure are allowed to tackle him to the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really appreciated, um, a, several years ago, um, I think it was Nacy came out with a book called Big Body Play. And yes. so the author, Frances Carlson. Frances Carlson. Yeah, so she, <laughs> perfect, thank you. Um, she had just like an article in, in uh, Nacy's journal, Young Children, that introduced the idea when the book was coming out. You know, and And one of the things that really stuck with me uh, about that was the idea that this is how mammals play when they're young. They they play fight. Like you watch a litter of puppies and they're chewing each other's ears and they'll yelp when they've had enough and the others learn to stop and uh, they roll around on each other and that's all very useful for socialization and mm-hmm. very rarely do the puppies really get hurt by each other in that process. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that helped me shift my thinking as I watched... Uh, primarily boys um, wrestling and play fighting and wanting to take part in that more active kind of play than I maybe was comfortable with at the time. Yeah, and there's so much, I mean, if we want children to be able to, you know, use their listening ears with each other, they're going to need to be able to actually listen to another, a peer who's telling them, hey, wait, that hurts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so absolutely, if kids are engaging in this kind of play and, and, and we feel some concern, just move closer to it. And, and watch it more closely yourself. Um, and and you can do a lot of uh, sort of thinking out loud to help the kids process that, if that makes sense. Like, look at his face. I don't think he likes this anymore. Or you look like maybe you want him to stop. Do you want him to stop? And And help them develop that emotional intelligence about interacting with each other. Right. If, if you're yeah. really concerned about the play... Then, then move closer and become part of it without taking it over completely. Right, uh, yeah, you don't probably shouldn't be the person who comes in and replaces all their guns magically with marshmallow guns, but, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I've also seen that, like, oh, well, this is a way that I can be comfortable with gunplay. Yeah, well, so so Sorry. that is another, I mean, we're sort of moving away from the gender piece of this, but I'm sure we'll get back to it, but uh, that's another thing that stuck with me in the book because I and and I'm not comfortable like I'm not saying that I'm going to fill my classroom with little plastic gun replicas or little actual little you know gun things even though I played with them when I was younger and I never grew up to shoot anybody and in fact don't like guns um so so I don't know that we can say there's a correlation of playing with toy guns leading you to being a shooter in your adulthood but um that the book discussed a lot of um, the value of constructing the weapons yes, and, and the things that they can turn into weapons. And we've all joked that, you know, we can take all, we can say there's zero tolerance for gunplay and they're going to bite their cracker into a gun shape or use <laughs> their fingers into a gun shape. Like they'll do it. Um, and looking past the zero tolerance attitude and just looking at, um, the thinking that went into the construction. 
Yeah, well, I liked the section of this book that talked about the flexibility of thinking that children possess when they're trying to hide their toy guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they become cell phones when someone walks really close to them. Yeah, yeah. So so there's a piece of this, too, that is, um, oh, my gosh, that just, I've never mind. I don't know what there's a piece of it, too. It's gone. <laughs> oh, our view of the child comes into this conversation, too. Like, how do we really see and think about children? Do we see them as sneaky and manipulative and will get away with anything and my job is to keep them on the straight and narrow? Or do we see them as, you know, competent little thinkers? <laughs> yes. And and our job is to facilitate that. Right. Um, so can you appreciate that moment as a funny moment of flexible thinking where the gun suddenly turns into a cell phone because you came close? <laughs> Or do we just feed our um, sort of subconscious dislike of them? <laughs> what if my image of the child is that they're wonderful, creative, you know, informed little beings making sense of their world until they disobey me? Is that an acceptable yeah. <laughs> middle ground? <laughs> until they disobey me. <laughs> and then all bets are off. Um, well, that's, I don't know. I guess that's more acceptable <laughs> than the way I described it, but I think it comes down to the same thing. Uh, hate to do this to you nerd listeners but you're going to have to come back next week to hear the rest of this conversation bye bye that's the show now go get your nerd on